Well, good morning. It is so good to see you here this morning. And I trust that those of you that are at home are there uh, with us. We miss seeing your face, uh, but we are glad that we know that you are there with us. And so we just want to pray together this morning. Uh, you might be a health care worker or you know of one. Uh, this really uh, lands home with me because my wife and my oldest daughter are nurses and uh, the work that they are doing, and uh, many are working tirelessly and some hopelessly because of the work that they're having to do because of our virus. And we just want to pray for them today. So if you're a doctor, medical worker, thank you for what you do, and we just want to ask God to give you strength. Let's do that. Father, I just pray for, I know many of our folks who are doctors and healthcare workers. I think of my precious daughter who now has the COVID for the third time because of working with folks who have it. I pray for my wife. I pray for uh, many who are weary of the long hours of work that they're having to put in. And I pray today you might strengthen them and Give them great hope. May they look to you for strength. May you come alongside them. May your people come alongside them and encourage them where they need encouragement and help. And God, I pray that you'd find us faithful in our prayers for just uh, people who are in dire, dire need. Not just because of virus, but because of either weariness or grief or the hardships they are experiencing for those who are without Christ who even during this holiday season will go through it and not even comprehend or even think about the incredible news, the incredible wonder that each of us have. You, we've sung about it this morning. Even myself can get to a place where I forget how incredibly awesome the good news of your son coming for us, the reason we celebrate this season and Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us just to stop this moment. I pray that you'd help us even this morning to refocus our attentions and our hearts on the incredible truths that you have given us and that our hope would really, really be set in you today. And I ask this in your powerful and wonderful name. Amen. Would you take your Bible, if you would, and turn in the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah, and you can go ahead and turn to chapter 9, is where we'll camp out for a little bit this morning. You know, as I prayed, uh, I just, every year when I come to Christmas, uh, always am amazed at myself of how that I can have awe amnesia. If you've ever heard of a guy named Paul Tripp, he, I, I think he's the guy that came up with that little phrase, and one time I read it, I realized, well, that's me. I have all amnesia oftentimes. And you know what that is? Having all at the wonders of the things that God has revealed to us in his word. And, and here we are in this season, and yet sometimes can just go by and never really contemplate the glories of Jesus coming, of him having come. He's coming again for you and I. And yet sometimes for me, that truth can just kind of be like water on a duck's back and it not really affect me. In fact, I think sometimes it's because I forget of my utter lostness. I don't know if you ever contemplate that sometimes, but just to think about before Christ, how absolutely lost you and I were. 
Now, the truth is, there are some of us, we were worse than others in maybe our behavior. But everybody without Christ is as bad off as they can be. Does that make sense? You might not be as bad as someone else, but without Christ, you and I are as bad off as a person could ever be. And just not realizing and remembering how utterly lost without Christ you and I were in the world. Another thing that I think for me personally uh, is just living in America. Now, I'm not saying I don't like living in America. But hear me, living in America, we have it incredibly good. If you don't think so, go somewhere else for a while and just go see it. And so for me personally, I do something about every morning is I have some statistics. And for some people, statistics don't really help them, but for me it does. And it also helps me because I have been just a few places in the world and just to remember about how people in the plight that people in this world live and how often I can forget about how the rest of the world lives and, and just think about how good and easy that I have it in the world. In fact, I shared some of these uh, at the first of the year with you. You might remember some of them. The first ones might be kind of funny, but it really isn't, all right? And so just, just bear with me for a moment. Some things that every morning in my quiet time, I think about how the rest of the world. The first is toilet paper. I know that sounds funny, but it's not funny. If you don't have any, it's not funny. But I don't know if you realize that 4 billion people, that is 70% of the world, do not have it or they cannot afford it. Four billion people in the world without toilet paper. Those who do have toilet paper in other parts of the world, hear me, a roll of toilet paper will fit inside the roll, the center roll of our toilet paper. And many of you are going like, this is how we're starting this morning about toilet paper? But I want you to think, you go buy a, a roll of toilet paper in another part of the country, it will fit inside the roll in the middle. That's not much. In fact, one particular country that one of our M's serves in Every month, every family in this particular country gets a little slip, a little card, and it tells them what they can buy at the grocery store. It's kind of a grocery store there. That means every month the government tells you what you're allowed to buy. And possibly your family might be able to buy one roll of toilet paper one of the months of the year. That means one roll of toilet paper for that year your family might be able to buy if it's on your slip of paper. And so just taking the things that we take for granted, we take for granted. Clean water, 785 million people in this world do not have clean water to drink. 1.9 billion people go to bed hungry, many of them to the point of starvation. You know that starvation, you know, you can kind of go without food for 40 days. I've never done that. I've never done that. I don't plan on doing that. But anyway, I've never done that. But some people have fasted for 40 days. And I can't even imagine that. But there are people in the world that it's not because they choose to. It's just because that is their plight that at 40 days, starvation starts to kick in. And many people in our world starving. 
Five billion people in this world today do not have the medications that they need. Simple medications that they need. Three billion people in the world today are what's called daily wage earners. They work many hours a day, sometimes 16 to 18 hours a day, and many are $2 and less per day what they make. Can you imagine trying to live on $2 a day? There are 79 million people who are displaced in the world. And what that means is, is because of either disaster, disease, or terror, they have been displaced from their homes. In fact, uh, over the years, I've been able to visit a few villages in a few different countries that it was a new village because they were ran out of their old village because they were believers in Jesus. And so they drove them further out into the jungle and they had to start their own establishment, their own little village, because everything was taken from them and they were run out of their own homes. 26 million of those people live in what's called refugee camps throughout the world. And in fact, I would just encourage you, maybe whenever you just don't have anything to do, to Google refugee camp and just see the plight of people that live in refugee camps around the world. Now with that, I want you to just kind of take maybe some of those scenarios and many, many more. And maybe you know more than those. But I want you to think about that kind of plight, that kind of like you would live in that kind of plight. But not only on top of that, but you would have the judgment of God against you. And the hopelessness that you would sense and feel because you're like, there's no way out of this. And then spiritually, there's no way out of this. And then all of a sudden, you hear this truth. If you have Isaiah chapter 9, if you will... Many of you probably already know this, but Isaiah is his key word in this particular book is salvation. It is used 26 different times throughout the book. And so Isaiah is coming to a people that are in a desperate need and the plight that they're living in, and he's bringing them salvation. In fact, in this particular book, there are three verses that are like the key verses of Isaiah. The first two we're going to read together. There's Isaiah chapter 6 and 7. So if you have that, just follow along. And I want you, if you would, because I, I have this uh, tendency that if I hear someone read a verse, I'm like, yeah, I've heard that verse. Think of these folks living in maybe those type of dire situations. And for the first time, hear this. For to you a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, if you will, take Isaiah, turn to Isaiah 53. Just take a hard right. Isaiah 53, verse 6 is the next. There's the third key verse in Isaiah. 
Not that all of them are not important, but these just stand out kind of as the center hub of this particular book. Isaiah 53, 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That is incredibly bad news. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So if you will, back to chapter 9, verse 6 for just a moment. I just want to try to unpack maybe a very familiar passage that you've heard maybe every Christmas. Unpack it for us this morning. For unto you a child is born, the God-man. God just didn't come down like Superman one day. He's the God-man. He's Emmanuel, right? He, he's come as a babe. That makes him a perfect representative of mankind. You see, because of sin, someone had to die. And so what did God do in his incredible mercy? Again, you know these truths. You've heard them over and over again. But he comes as a child, a sinless child, who would grow up and experience everything that you and I would ever experience yet without sin. He would go through everything. He would go through tiredness and weariness. He would go through, there would be hardships. He would see his people suffer. He'd see his parents go through difficult times. He would grow up with brothers and sisters. They are sinners. He is not. Wouldn't that be a great thing to grow up? And your brother is Jesus. And your mother would always say to you, why don't you act like Jesus? I mean, like, like you're always goofing around. Why don't you just be like him? And don't you know, they just thought, somehow, let's get rid of our son, you know, our brother. And yet he would grow up and he would keep all the commandments perfectly that you and I could never keep. He would live a perfect life that you and I could never keep. And one day he would die a perfect death in our place. A death that you and I could never have died. We could have never sacrificed ourselves. We could have never atoned for our own sin. And yet he would come and he would pay and he would do this. In fact, if you would, you're there in Isaiah. Keep your finger there because we'll come back. But take a hard right. Go to the New Testament, to Romans, if you will, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. If you kind of forget, lose where we're at in your notes this morning, there are the references there. And so Romans in chapter 5, if you will, we're going to start in verse 12 and just hear once again some truths we've heard over and over again, but just to think of them hopefully in a fresh way this morning. Verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if any died from one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one transgression brought condemnation. But the free gift following many transgressions brought justification. 
For if because of one man's transgression, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one transgress led to condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the transgression, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you will, back to Isaiah chapter 9. The second part of it says, Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Can you imagine like what this meant to these people when they would hear this thing? Because in their day, their government, their leaders, even their spiritual leaders were corrupt and they couldn't lead correctly. And yet, talks about there's going to be one that comes, and he's going to rule, and he's going to rule perfectly. I want to be careful here not to name any of these particular countries, but the governments of our world and what people around the world go through. A particular country I've gotten to visit, ethnic cleansing, uprooted and displaced, 1.3 million people, and tens of thousands of people within the three-year war were killed. The after effects of the war, the genocide, is still very, very strong in this particular country. The way to solve the disputes of this particular country was to take three presidents. One, a representative of every ethnic group in that particular country and make them presidents. And they would serve every three months. And so can you imagine living in a country where you had a president that thought this particular way and for three months he ruled and then in three more months another one stepped in and in three more months the third one stepped in and then it started all over again. Hey, here at least ours is every four years, right? But they're every three months. And they live in such turmoil all the time. In fact, the effects and the the sites of the war are still there. They have done nothing to clean it up. Walking down the street, it's not a pothole. It's where a grenade blew up or a mortar blew up. And every building you walk by on the way to the little church, this one church in this particular city, because in this particular city, there was only 15 known believers in Jesus. And as we would walk from their home to the church, which is about a five-mile walk, every building, every home that you walk by, full of bullet holes. Nothing has changed. Everything looks the same. The reminder is there over and over again. One particular country that some people live in, you own nothing. In fact, the house that you live in is owned by the government. A few years ago, a hurricane came through. A third of the people in this particular place were displaced. 
And because of that, the government took all those people that lost their homes, and they might knock on you, the home that you live in with your family and knock on the door that morning, and two more families were forced to come and live with you because it's not your home, it's the government's home. And so they can tell people where they live. And so one day, you and your family might have lived under a little house, you know, but the next day you might have two more families come and live with you. If you happen to have a fruit tree on the property that you live on, the fruit is not yours, it's the government's. But you are responsible to pick and to take care of that fruit tree because a government official will come by weekly to gather up the fruit, and you better have all of it accounted for. The animals that live on the land that you live on, you're responsible for, but you may not eat those animals because they are not yours. In fact, you might not realize this, and this might really get some of y'all, but for most of the world, the Internet is illegal. The Internet is illegal because they don't want people to know how the rest of the world is living. And so you cannot have that. I know this particular country, um, whenever its uh, members, its population is either getting a little too large or there's an uprising, they just use nerve gas to kind of thin things down. I know this for a fact because my wife's relatives live in this particular country. So can you imagine if you were living in such dire places? And then you heard for the first time, this one that's coming is going to be wonderful counselor. You know, whenever I think of a counselor, I think of Kicker. Kicker is a counselor. Um, he is a good one. Uh, he counsels me every week. Uh, that's why he's on staff here for me. Anyway, he's an incredible counselor. So when I think of a counselor, I think of Kicker because here's the thing about a counselor. A counselor, a good one. First of all, wants to know all about you. He wants to know about you. She wants to know about you, a counselor. Wants to know you, but also wants you to be at ease to be able to open, openly speak to them. You have to realize that the religious leaders of the Old Testament, New Testament, when they talked about the gods, because many of them thought there were many gods, or they even talked about the one God, they would talk about God or the gods in this way that they were disinterested, they didn't care about humans, they are unaware of their plight, they did not care. In fact, their, their like care towards humans was just apathy, did not care at all. And so for many people, they thought, if there was a God, God didn't know me, doesn't care a lick about me, and yet all of a sudden, Isaiah says, I want you to know there is a wonderful counselor that is coming who wants to know everything about you, who absolutely knows everything about you. And then if you will, take and go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14 through 16, if you will. A wonderful, which literally means an exceptional counselor. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. It's just a simple way of saying what Jesus did, you and I could have never done. 
Because he not only sacrificed himself, he took his own blood, passed through the heavens, went into the holy of holies in heaven, and presented his own blood for you and I's atonement. He passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Remember, he was born. He was born a child into the human race. Jesus knows everything that you and I have ever gone through. So you and I, when we come to him, he can never go, I really don't know what you're going through. I really can't feel what you're going through. And yet you and I, we have a God who cares so much, he knows exactly everything you and I have ever gone through. And that's why it says that without weakness. But hear this, with our weaknesses, but who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16 to me is one of the most comforting verses to me I've ever known for my own personal life. I hope it's just to you. Then, therefore, because of this, let us come with confidence. Let us draw near, some of your translations say. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in, to help in time of need. Here's what's interesting about to, that you and I are to, with confidence, draw near. It literally means to be able to come and speak freely. If you've ever read the book of Esther, you realize that even the queen did not have the right, just like anyone else, to come and openly speak to the king unless they were invited. And you know that part in the book of Esther where because of her own family and her people were going to be annihilated, she took the risk and bust open into the king's throne room to approach his throne to be able to speak to him about it. And so people realize that this is something different, to be able to come and openly speak to God, to be able to come and receive mercy and grace, and in time of need, in other words, it means that you and I at any time can come into his presence and to talk and openly share with him. Mighty God, Literally means hero. I want you, if you will, go left in your Bible to Genesis chapter 18. In fact, you know the creation, the power of God in creation. There then there was the flood and then all these things happened. And then what I wanted to bring you to is when God said to Abram that I'm going to make you a, a great nation. And through you, many are going to be blessed. And from that time, though, nothing happened. And then come in Genesis chapter 18, verse 9, the angel visits Abraham again and says to him, if you will, in verse 9, and the angel said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. In other words, unable to have children anymore. And so Sarah laughed to herself and said, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a son now that I am old? 
And then verse 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? At this moment, at this very time, I will return this next year and Sarah shall have a son. And here's what this gets me. There's been creation. There's been the flood. There's been all this incredible going on. And yet, still, Sarah and Abraham thought, no, God cannot do this. In fact, maybe some of you this morning, there's something in your particular life or situation that you're going like, you know, I know God can do all these things. In fact, he's blessed all kinds of other people. But this particular thing in my life, impossible. He'll never be able to do that. And yet God wants to say to you and I, is anything too impossible? In fact, I don't have many slides today, but here's one, and I want you to read it with me. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. I don't know if you realize, but if you read the Old Testament and much of the New Testament, you'll find this particular phrase over and over again, the maker of heaven and earth. It's a phrase that if you don't watch out, you'll just pass it without even thinking about it. But to the people of the Bible, it was something that was a continual reminder that, hey, I am reminded every day, you and I should be reminded every day of our mighty God because of heaven and earth. You and I every day walk and live on an incredible reminder that God is a mighty God. If you go outside during the day or especially at night, there God is once again just reminding you that he is the maker of heaven and earth. And to think, man, God cannot do that. That's impossible for God. He cannot do that. So I just want to share a couple things with you that I find absolutely fascinating. So tonight, if you will, it's going to be clear. If you'll go outside and you'll find the Big Dipper. In fact, if you go outside tonight and you look right up in this particular place of the heavens, you'll find the Big Dipper, but it's not like that. It's dipping. It's actually dipping now. But if you go out there and you look at it, for if you've ever seen the Big Dipper, right? You've seen it? Here it's made up of these particular stars, right? Now, here's what's interesting. Every one of the stars that makes up the Big Dipper, they like look like they're all at the same distance meaning they're all the same distance from earth to those stars, and yet they're not. Every one of those stars is at a particular distance from earth. But if they all look like the same size, you know what that tells you? The ones that are further out, they have to be larger to look like the same. Now, you know most of the stars in heaven that you and I, when we go out, and if you do look up at night that all of them are way bigger than our sun. They're all way bigger than our sun. In fact, the stars that make up the Big Dipper, they're all way bigger, but they're so far out, they just look real small. But here's the one thing I just want you to kind of look with me for a moment. There's some particular numbers in between each one of the stars that makes up the Big Dipper. So, for instance, on the handle between the very first star and the second one, there's 123. What that means is those stars are 123 light years apart. 
You know what a light year is? Six trillion miles. A light travels six trillion miles in a year. And so these particular stars are that far apart. But you go out there tonight, and guess what? That 123 trillion miles, it's only like this far. And yet it's always there. It's like always there. In fact, if you go out tonight, and if you watch long enough, there's always falling stars. They're still there. I wonder why. I mean, why would God go to all of the trouble, like it's really trouble for God? In fact, if you want to know all the commentary on the stars, here it is. And God made the stars. That's all that Genesis says. He names them all. He knows every one of them. He knows the number of them. They all have a name. It was no trouble. It's no trouble, but yet it's there because... It's just, once again, God reminding, powerful God. In fact, this morning, if you got up to see the sunrise, it ought to really just thrill your heart. Because all through the night while you were asleep and not in control, you were spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, and guess what? The earth rotated, you're still in the same place, you didn't fly off into space. You're not going to freeze to death because God's got it just right. Sun comes up tonight. The sun will go down. Why would God, again, go to all the trouble? But why would God let there be seasons? I mean, why not just uh, summer all the time? Or for me, why not fall all the time? And yet God, what does he do in the fall and we just experienced it? that he allows all this incredible beauty to be around, why would he do such a thing? Why not just be bland? Why not just be, you know, the same thing? If you've ever been to the sea or ever been on a ship and the vastness of it, why would God do such a thing? It's just, a, again, a reminder. It's just you and I, again, reminder it's amazing that we can drive even to church. We'll drive home this afternoon. Sometimes we'll never even contemplate or think about. We are totally out of control. God is totally in control. If you will, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Ephesians chapter 1, 16. Starting verse 16 through 19, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is Paul praying for these believers. And he's praying for them for a specific reason. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? You hear what he's saying? He's praying that we would comprehend what God has done for us. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe 
according to the working of his great might. Now hear me, this is not talking about his creation. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about God, what he did that you and I could be forgiven and be adopted into his family. The greatest power God has ever displayed is not in creation. It is in making it possible for you and I to be his child. In fact, America is probably, when it comes to fatherlessness, is probably in the deepest plight it's ever been. As of today, there are more than 10 million single mom fatherless homes in America alone. If you will, in your notes, I put one quote. It is from the Westminster Confession. Some wonder, I know Pastor Marty oftentimes will quote from a catechism. What are those? You have to realize years and years and hundreds of years ago, many did not have a copy of the Bible. Many could not read. Still to this day, there are many who cannot read the Bible for themselves. And yet, they didn't have a Bible, and there was much confusion, and so many pastors came together, and they would take the truths of the Bible, and they would put them in like little cells. Many of them are the catechisms, so that parents could teach their children about the truths of God, and how they would be kind of, not necessarily the word catchy is probably not a good way to put it, but they would be in such a way that they could remember them. In fact, it was probably more for the parents and then the parents, as they learned them, would teach them to their children. And then there were confessions so that people could kind of get a grasp of like some of the deep doctrines and truths of the Bible. This particular one has to do with adoption. If you'll just follow along, this one says, God guarantees the adoption of all those who are justified in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ. Those adopted enjoy the liberties and privileges of God's children. Have his name put on them. Receive the spirit of adoption, having access to the throne of grace with boldness. And are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They are pitied, protected, provided for, and disciplined by him as a father. They are never cast off and are sealed until the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. If you will, turn to Luke chapter 11. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's trying to explain to them the incredible care that he, his father, have for them. And in Luke chapter 11, certain verse 9, it comes to a place that's very familiar for all of us. But can you imagine for people who thought God was distant and uncaring and here Jesus comes very close to them and he wants them to know these truths. A father wants his children to know, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks find, and to the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg because he's hungry, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, 
Know how to give good gifts to your children. Think about it. Parents, grandparents, think about it. If you and I, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, Jesus says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the greatest gift? In fact, it literally says, who will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. That's kind of an unusual statement, you might think. Like, give salvation, yeah. Give forgiveness, yeah. But here it says, give the Holy Spirit. So I want you, if you will, go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Hopefully this helps make this fit. Maybe, like, why would Jesus say, who will give you the Holy Spirit? Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Here's the deal. God could have loved you and I from a distance, but He chose to take up residence within us. So that every waking moment, because of the Spirit God living inside of us, we would know whose we are. He never would have just said, hey, listen, I save you and I'll take care of you later. But he took up residence in you and I. He made it to where you and I would constantly know that I am His. I have been forgiven. The Spirit of God lives within you. That's why you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why you don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. That's why you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, so sensitive to Him because He's there to remind you over and over again that He's with you. He will not leave you. He has forgiven you. You are his child, you can come to him at any moment of any day. He lives within you and I. And here's the last one, Prince of Peace. If you don't know, today is the second of the Advents. It is about peace. Here is the first time Isaiah speaks of peace because he mentions it 25 more times in his book. Have you ever heard, it's an old saying, so maybe those of you that are a bit mature would remember this. I don't know if those of you younger have ever heard this, but have you ever heard, I remember hearing it, have you ever heard this phrase, have you made your peace with God? You remember hearing that? Now I want to ask you, is that a true statement? Have you made your peace with God? In other words, have I done whatever it takes, like I had it, if I would have it in my own power, to make peace with God. No. You can't make peace with God. In fact, we were dead. Dead people can't make peace with God. God had to make peace with us. That's why He sent His Son. That's why God took all the initiative that's why salvation is all his plan. It is all his doing. The faith that you could even believe is a gift of God to you, that you could even believe such incredible truths. 
In fact, Romans chapter 5, 8 says that we were enemies of God and the wrath of God was against us, which is the most horrible news any of us could ever hear. That the wrath of God, I mean, your worst enemy is not the devil. Before Christ, it was not that you would go to hell. But before Christ, the worst thing was that God had wrath against you. And yet, because of his incredible love, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and you can just listen to this. says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained an access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of glory of God. For to us a child is born, to us a son has been given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Father, I pray today, most of us in this room hold in our own hands a copy of your promises, of the prophecies that were made that have been fulfilled, of the hope that you're coming again, and until you do, you're with us in all things, that you give us grace moment by moment. When we fail, you give forgiveness. You hear our prayers. You want to use us in this dark world as agents of light who know you, who the Spirit of God lives within. These incredible truths that we have that we will celebrate during this particular season and honestly all of life. These are not just Christmas truths. These are everyday truths that we should relish in. I would pray today that if any of us suffer from all amnesia, you would bring our memories back and you would help us to hold these truths as precious. Maybe even as we drive home, we'll see what you've created in a new light. Breathe clean air as a free gift of yours. To be surrounded by friends and to be able to be a part of your church is a gift of yours. To have life, even if we have ailments in this world, just to have life is a gift. To be able to speak and think and love, care is a gift. I pray God that we would never grow old 
that you are our wonderful counselor. We'll never forget that you are a mighty God. We'll never cease to just glory in the fact that you are our everlasting Father. And you made a way for me to be at peace with you. I pray for folks here listening. They have never heard these truths. They've never maybe comprehended. Maybe they have never bent the knee of their heart to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That they would. They'd realize the greatest thing that could ever happen to them this season is not to have a, a wonderful Christmas and uh, just to be able to get by. But they would know what it means to be forgiven and to be adopted into your family. God, I pray that we would never forget these truths and we would encourage one another with these truths often. Lord, I pray that you would do in me something I cannot do. Lord, help me. Help me never just to think of it as old hat or just something that's just normal. When there's nothing normal about it, it is fascinating and beyond wonder. I pray that you'd capture my attention and my imagination and my passions more and more that these truths would be great and they would reflect in my prayers and they would reflect in how I live my life and they would reflect in how I worship and give you praise and they would reflect in how I treat other people. I pray this in the power of your Holy Spirit for not only myself, but for your people as well. In your powerful name I pray. Amen.